We'll open with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our great God and Father, we give honor to your name this morning. We bow low in our hearts to worship you and to honor you and to give you glory to understand or just pause and think about who you are and how great and worthy of our praise you are. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters who come week after week uh, as the body of Christ to join together in fellowship, to study the scriptures, to hear a word from you, Lord, to uh, be energized that we might go out into the world and be your ambassadors. And so, Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for this great privilege we have of walking through the scriptures. Thank you for what you've been showing and teaching us, and I pray that you would continue to do that this morning. By your spirit, may you illumine our minds that we might understand the truth, Lord, that it might affect the way that we live and the things we say and do in this coming week. May you be given greatest glory this morning, for we pray in your name. Amen. This is week number 57 in our study of the book of Daniel, and we're over in chapter 10 finally. We started that chapter last week, walking through the first uh, nine verses, ten verses of that of the chapter, and what we see here is another vision that Daniel apparently has had two years after the one that we saw in uh, chapter 9. And so Cyrus has uh, been ruling for three years now, and he's already made the decree that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem. Uh, Zerubbabel has already led 50,000 people back to Jerusalem. They're working on the temple. They probably by this time have the foundation laid and have stopped work because the neighboring uh, countries were threatening them. But anyway, Daniel has had this vision, and we find him mourning. Um, he's been mourning for three weeks. Um, he says three full weeks, three entire weeks that he's been mourning. So Daniel apparently had this vision and then began to humble himself. The scripture says that he didn't take of the delicacies, he didn't drink the wine, he didn't put on the ointment that he was uh, privileged to being in the um, court of Cyrus. Daniel enjoyed, you remember back way back in chapter 6, he enjoyed success in the reign of, of Cyrus and of Darius, both uh, leaders of the um, Medo-Persian kingdom. And so Daniel maintained a high position, and he could eat um, the finest foods and, and anoint his body. He, was able, he had the supplies to do that, but he refrained. And the scripture says he was doing that as he humbled himself before God. He was, he was actually weeping here, um, apparently because God had not answered his prayer. Daniel's been praying for three weeks, asking God to tell him what this vision means, to give him explanation about this, and no explanation has come. And this is unusual for Daniel. You remember he's had multiple visions 
Um, we saw that uh, all the way back to chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 8, uh, 7, 8, and 9, all having visions, but with the answer or the explanation being given immediately. And here Daniel's had a vision, and it's been three weeks, and he has no word from God about what this vision means, and so he's in mourning. He's weeping. He's asking God to give him an answer about what this means. And suddenly, one day, this has been three weeks now since he had his vision, Daniel is by the Tigris River, and he's got people with him, and all of a sudden he sees a theopony, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, and uh, the people around him that are with him can't see it, but they all run away because a great sense of dread overcomes them. So they run to hide themselves in the midst of this theopony, and Daniel can literally see it. And you remember the description we saw there, a man dressed in linen, um, his face was like lightning, his body like barrel, he had a golden sash around his waist. Um, he, um, his, his face was like lightning. He spoke um, with these strong words. Um, the New American Standard says it sounds like a tumult. Uh, the ESV says it sounded like a multitude of people speaking. So it was loud and, and strong. And so this matches what we see over in Revelation chapter 1 where John saw literally the Lord Jesus Christ and began to have this conversation with Jesus as he went into the explanation about the churches and the lampstands and the, the pastors of those churches and all that we see in the opening chapters of, of Revelation. And so this matches very similarly um, especially the uh, eyes like flame, uh, flames of torches, um, burning and, and you know strong and judgmental. And so Daniel saw this literally, and he falls on the ground, he says, with his face to the ground. So he's prostrate before this theopony that's happening, and he says he fell into a deep sleep. Um, he fainted. And so here is Daniel on the ground in front of this theopony. And so God is going to give him the answer that he's been waiting on. And, and I want to talk about this a little bit. It's kind of interesting that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ was there, but he didn't get there until the angel got there. And so what's going on in all that's happening here? Um, so what I want to do this morning is just read verses 11 through 19 of chapter 10, and then we'll go back and walk through these one at a time. So Daniel 10, verse 11, Daniel is, uh, well, verse 10 would be the right place to start. Then behold, a hand touched, touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to you to give you an understanding of what happened to your people, what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him, who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So Daniel has this encounter with an angel who begins to touch him and speak to him and is trying to get him to a position where he can receive the word that he has to speak to him. Now, in verse 10, when a hand touches Daniel, we don't know whose hand that is. Um, if you continue to compare to what happened in Revelation 1, this theopony, um, there Jesus Christ touches John, tells him to stand up, not to be afraid, and begins to talk to John. But I don't think that's what happens here. I don't think this is Jesus Christ speaking to Daniel. It appears that it's the angel who's having this conversation. I think Jesus Christ appeared in order to validate what this angel was getting ready to tell him. You know, um, God himself there in person so that Daniel will know that this is not uh, just a hoax or it's not an evil angel. This is the angel that the Lord sent, and his word is true. Uh, and so Christ shows up to validate that. But it's the angel that's doing all the action here, that's touching Daniel, that's speaking to him, that strengthens him somehow. Uh, it's the interaction between Daniel and the angel, and apparently the theopony is no longer there. Because if it was, I don't think Daniel would stand up. I think he would still stay prostrate. And so you can think about that how you, you know, uh, differently, but that's what I think is, is going on here. Um, you know, at the point in verse 10 where a hand touches him, no one else has been introduced yet. Uh, the angel comes later. So uh, there are different ways of thinking about that, but I tend to think that it's the angel who's doing all the action here. Um, and so the angel touches Daniel. Daniel's on his hands and knees trembling. 
okay? It wasn't on his face. He's at least gotten to his hands and knees, but he's still uh, trembling. And this angel, while Daniel's on his hands and knees, says, O man of high esteem. And that should be familiar to you because it's the exact same thing that was said back in chapter 9 when the angel Gabriel got to Daniel and back in 9 and where is it here? Um, in verse 23, he says, at the beginning of your supplication, the, can, the command was issued and I have come to you for you are highly esteemed. And now esteem just means to be thought well of or to um, you know, be pleased with him. And so Daniel, apparently, God is pleased with him. He's satisfied with how Daniel has been living. Daniel's a righteous man. Um, he knew the scriptures. He studied the scriptures. In chapter 9, we find him reading the book of Jeremiah. Um, he clearly knew the book of Isaiah um, because Isaiah calls out Cyrus by name. Um, he knew that the Jews were supposed to return. So Daniel is studied, a well-studied man. He knows the scriptures, um, and he lives according to them. Remember in chapter 9, um, when he was praying, he prayed congruent to what Leviticus 26 taught that the Jews were supposed to pray after the desolation. And so Daniel knew that, and his prayer is right in line with what Leviticus 26 teaches that the Jews should have been praying for. Remember, praying for the city, praying for the temple, praying for the people. Just exactly what Leviticus said. So Daniel is well thought of by God. If you have a ESV translation as opposed to I use the NAS, it says that he's greatly loved. And that would be an accurate translation also. The, Daniel, you know, you think of the Old Testament saints and think that God is some distant figure to them that is giving them commands and giving them laws to live by. But you don't see that in Daniel's relationship. Daniel is close to God. He often was sent angels to um, talk to him about what God's message was. He was given visions by God and he recognized that. And so he always had a prayer of praise to God after that happened. So Daniel is, is intimate in his relationship with God. The same thing that you and I would seek for with our Heavenly Father is to not be distant and just have commands that we live according to, but rather have a relationship in which we converse with God and, and hear from God often through his scriptures and um, have a personal relationship as some distant, you know, high relationship. And that's what Daniel had. And so he prays to God, and that's why he's mourning, because God has always answered his prayers, always given him an interpretation. And all of a sudden, for some reason, the revelation, the explanation is delayed. And so Daniel is literally weeping and has been for three weeks because uh, even in chapter 9, when there was a little delay, you remember Daniel had been praying all day long, apparently. He said, 
Um, he was wearied, and it was about the hour of the um, evening sacrifice, so apparently he had been praying all day. took Gabriel some time to get to him, um, but yet the answer still came before he even finished praying, that Gabriel was there. It says, while he was still praying, Gabriel appeared before him. But now it's been three weeks. So this is very different for Daniel. And so he, he's wearied and he's weak and, um, and he, he's been this, in this condition for three weeks. And so this angel begins to speak to him and says, he's trying to comfort him. And Daniel, you're, you're highly thought of um, by God. Because this is a message from God. Jesus Christ just appeared to show him that this is a message from God. And so Daniel doesn't quite know what to make of this, I don't think. And as the angel continues to speak, his words are very, very similar to what Gabriel said to Daniel previously. And this is, I think, important for us to, to understand this. Because not only does he call him man of high esteem, just like Gabriel did to Daniel, but he also says, um, understand, this is in verse 11, understand the words that I will speak to you, and for I've now been sent to you. So this isn't just something that this angel wanted to say. This is an angel coming to Daniel by the command of God, because he's been sent by God to give an explanation. Now, this is the, almost the exact same thing that Gabriel told Daniel back in 9, 22 and 23. You notice he says, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued that Gabriel should go. And so you notice it says, at the beginning. So God already knew what was on Daniel's heart. He knew what Daniel was going to pray. And so at the moment he began to pray, God sent Gabriel to speak to him. Well, that's the same thing that this angel says to Daniel in, in chapter 10. He says... Um, Notice in verse 12, then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand. So from the first day. So God heard him 21 days ago and he commissioned this angel to go to Daniel 21 days ago. And so God immediately responded, but did the angel he says, could not get to Daniel. He, he, he tried, he wanted to, but he was thwarted from getting to Daniel. Now that seems a little interesting, doesn't it? A God, an angel with God's message sent by God, commanded by God to go to Daniel, can't get to Daniel. So that should send off some thoughts in your mind or so why couldn't this angel get to Daniel and so you know certainly Daniel wanted to know and this angel wanted Daniel to know why has the delay been why could you not just show up 
um, because you've been sent by God. You should have been able to just come. Now, this angel, men that I highly respect, they believe it's the angel Gabriel. Now, I, I take exception to that, and let me show you why. Back in, all the way back in chapter 8, in verse 16, we have a voice over the waters of the river, meaning it's not on one of the banks or the other banks where the people who appeared, the angel who appeared, was. This is coming from the midst of the waters. So I believe this is the, the voice of God. And you notice in verse 16, and I heard a voice, this is chapter 8, of a man between the banks of the Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So there's Gabriel in the vision standing on the bank, but God calling to him from the midst of the waters, saying, Gabriel, calls him by name, go tell Daniel what this means. And he does. He goes and gives him an interpretation of the vision of the ram and the goat. And you remember very explicitly, the ram um, is, um, is Persia, and the, no, yeah, and the goat is Greece. And he tells them explicitly what this is all about. But then in chapter 9, Daniel, this angel appears before him, and Daniel recognizes him. Uh, verse 21, he says, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, who, I'm, who I'd seen in the vision previously, came to me. So he recognizes him. Now, I just tend to think that if Gabriel is the angel who speaks to him in chapter 10, that he would say, oh, Gabriel's back. I recognize him. But he doesn't say that anywhere in this chapter. So I think if it was Gabriel, Daniel would have said so. Now, I could be wrong. It could be Gabriel. But this, this angel says that he is specifically sent to the kings of Persia. And I don't think that's the role that Gabriel plays in the, in the angel realm. Um, he doesn't control nations. He's a messenger. He carries messages to lots of people. And so doesn't seem to fit. Now, men that I highly respect say, this is obviously Gabriel. And I go, it's not so obvious to me. Because uh, I think he would have said so. So it could be a the angel Gabriel, but I tend to think that it's a different angel that's unnamed, um, but still an important angel because he was sent to Daniel. Now, this angel begins to explain why he couldn't come. And in verse 13, this angel um, gives Daniel the answer as to why has it been three weeks um, that you weren't here. And he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. That's three weeks. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I'd been left there with the kings of Persia. So I think what this angel is saying is that my assignment 
from God is to be with the kings of Persia. My job is to influence and give direction to the kings of Persia. But there's this evil angel who was there previously who opposes me. And the, the, when he says, um, talking about this angel, the literal translation would be, um, stands opposite me. So this angel was trying to get to Daniel, but this other angel was preventing him, was opposing him, would stop him from getting to Daniel. That seems a little strange to me because this angel was sent by God with a message from God. And yet he could not do what he had been assigned to do until Michael, the archangel, comes and assists him. He takes the evil angel out of the way. And so this angel is then able to go to Daniel. But this went on, this stalemate went on for three weeks, 21 days. That's a long time. Why didn't Michael come sooner? You know, you don't know. We're not given explanation. But this should help us to understand that those who think that God just made the creation and then left it to its own and is not involved or that there aren't really angels that exist simply is not true according to the scriptures. The scriptures teach that this angel was sent to the kings of Persia. Now you remember what happened with the kings of Persia. I mean, these, these guys are, are just as ruthless, just as cruel as the Babylonian kings were. They're no better than any of the other kings, but they do things that are favorable to the kingdom, to, to Israel. Uh, Cyrus, you remember, made the declaration, made the proclamation, made the decree that the Jews could return to Jerusalem to rebuild. Matter of fact, he says, God wants me to rebuild his house. So my method of doing that is to send the Jews back to rebuild the temple and the city. And then later, King Darius, who came after Cyrus, does the same thing. And as a matter of fact, he adds to it. He says, same thing, the Jews can go back, they can build their temple, and if you oppose them, then we're going to um, impale you with a timber from your own house. We're going to kill you. Not only you, but your whole family. And so that's the penalty for opposing them. And then later, King Artaxerxes, who came really three kings later after Darius, did the same thing. Gave another decree that Ezra could return to Jerusalem in order to teach the people, in order to make sure they were living right. Uh, and again, a bunch of people and this time mainly priests from Babylon went back to Judah. And so three kings all making a decree that is friendly to Israel. Now, the question would be, why did they do that, right? Something had to influence them to do that. And I think the scriptures tell us explicitly why they did that. And it's over, and we looked at this before, but it's worth reviewing. In Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14. 
there's a very, very important verse. Now, Ezra comes um, after the Chronicles. And you remember the opening uh, verses of Ezra exactly match the closing verses of Second Chronicles, I think indicating that Ezra is the one who wrote the Chronicles. But over in chapter 6 and verse 14, now this is the influence of this angel that we're talking about. It took years for this to happen. Cyrus had already made his declaration, but it's many years before Darius and Artaxerxes make their declarations. But in verse, chapter 6 and verse 14, it's very clear. Is it 14? It's t not 14. It's, it is 14. Okay. Then the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, and they finished building according to the command of God. So this is God's command that this temple be rebuilt. But how did he accomplish that? It goes on to say, the command of God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. So this angel was able to influence these kings to such a degree that they issued decrees that were congruent with the command of God. So the temple wasn't rebuilt because Darius and uh, Cyrus and Artaxerxes made a decree. It was rebuilt because it was the command of God who is supreme over his creation. So this angel who, when he says, I was sent to the kings of Persia, was ultimately successful, at least to some degree, in order to persuade, put in the minds, however you want to think about it, of these kings of Persia to treat the Jews well and to send them back to their homeland. That wasn't just happenstance. That wasn't because they were good guys and they liked the Jews. It wasn't because... Um, Daniel went and told Cyrus, here's the prophecy of Isaiah from hundreds of years ago. And here's what Jeremiah wrote, that this desolation of Israel was only to last for 70 years. And I think that influenced him. So he used Daniel, he used the angel, he used whatever he needed to do in order to get the command of God fulfilled. And so I think that's pretty clear that these angels are battling for control to be able to influence the kings of Persia. There's an evil angel there. There's a good angel there. And they're fighting in the heavenlies and seem to have um, whichever one is successful influence over what the kings do. Now, we think, oh, that's crazy. That can't be how it really works. But you think back to what Daniel prayed way back at the beginning in chapter 2 of Daniel. And this is right after God had given, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. And he calls all the wise men together and he says, I want you not only to tell me the interpretation of my vision, I want you to tell me what my vision was, because then I'll know you really know. Now that's absurd, right? Usually the king would explain his vision and then the wise men would give him an interpretation. Not this time. He says, you tell me the vision and the interpretation. So Daniel 
you know, he's going to kill all the wise men, including Daniel and his friends. And so Daniel prays to God and asks him to show him the vision and the interpretation, and he does. And so Daniel, in this um, praise of God in this prayer in chapter 2, we'll just pick out one verse that he says. He, he praises God for all his wisdom and his knowledge, and he reveals the things that are in darkness um, because there is no darkness before him. But in chapter 2 and verse 16, I believe it is. No, it's verse 21. It is he who changes the times and the epochs, speaking of God in heaven. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. He establishes kings and he removes kings. So that sounds like he's directly in, in control to me. Now, so this shouldn't be, catch us as a surprise, but it's not the way we think today, right? Do you think that um, Putin is over Russia because God established him? Or that the Ayatollah over Iran is there because God established him? Or that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is ruled by a small family because God established them? Or that the President Biden was put in office because God established him? Is that the way we think? I don't think so. It's not the way that we view our world. But if God could do it here, and he could put things into the minds of the kings of Persia, to send the Jews back to Israel, why can he not do that today? He can. I think he's still involved. Things that are happening across the world are according to the plan of God. What he originally wrote. Things have not changed. He's the same God. The angels are still there. The angels still do battle that we don't fully understand, but they do. And we don't understand all that's happening on the planet, but God is still in control. He still has angels. Nothing's changed. The creation goes on just as it always has, and God is involved with his creation. It's going according to his plan. But it's not the way that we think. But this message given to Daniel should cause us to change the way that we think. Because this is still going on. This is still happening. And it's according to the plan of God. I mean, think about it. This is the Persians overrunning the kingdom of Babylon that had overrun the kingdom of Israel, all according to God's plans. They will get decimated by the Greeks when Alexander the Great comes, according to the plan of God. And then the Greeks will get decimated by the Romans, according to the plan of God. Ultimately, the Romans will get decimated by the Ottomans, according to the plan of God. It's all according to the plan of God. And he's still in control. This goes on and on. And there's nothing different today. We still live on the same planet. We still have leaders. We still have angels battling in the heavenlies for influence. That still goes on. Why? And it's not the way that I think. Maybe it's the way that you think, but it's not the way that I often think about this world. But it should be. And that's one of the lessons out of Daniel. 
is very clear here what's going on. I mean, think about it. The angel sent by God could not get to Daniel because he was opposed by one of the demons of Satan. Now, that's pretty strong. And that still goes on today. The demons are still active. They're still strong. They still battle with the good angels. So, you know, it's what it says, right? I just take it for what it says. And that's what it says. And so I believe this still goes on today. And it should shape the way that we think about what's happening in the world, which I think is getting worse and worse. A lot of people think it's getting better and better. I just don't see that. It seems to be, um, I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when I was a little boy, it wasn't like it is today. I mean, I walked to school back and forth by myself, you know, past the high school um, with no problem whatsoever. Nobody ever worried about me. I was six years old doing that. And nobody had a concern about that. I'd get home and the back door would be open and I'd walk in, right? Don't do that today, right? So the world, I think, I mean, from my perspective, is not getting better. It's getting worse. So, and the angels are still battling. So, this angel finally gets to Daniel. And he's able to begin to have this conversation with Daniel. And Daniel is just a mess and can't even stand up. He's on his hands and knees. And so he needs this angel to help him. And this angel does help him. Um, let's just go through this real quick here. In verse 14, now I've come to give you an understanding. This is the exact same thing that Gabriel said in chapter 9 of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision pertains to days yet future. And you think about that term latter days. And I don't know about you, but I think, you know, it's just it's in the scriptures multiple times. Well, it's in the scripture seven times, all in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament at all. And so we, I tend to think that it's in there a bunch of times. It's not. It's only in there seven times. The term that's used in the New Testament, and again, it's only there six times, is at the end of the age, is what I think is congruent to the latter days that's used in the Old Testament. Now, that term, at the end of the age, it's only used six times. Five of those are by Jesus Christ, speaking of future prophecy of what will happen at the end of the age. You go to the parable of the wheat and the tares, and he says end of the age multiple times, speaking about what will happen at the end of time of when uh, what I think here is the latter days. This, that term, I, I mean, usually brings up flags in my mind. It shouldn't. It's, it's just not used that much. It's, um, it's used mainly in prophecy in the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, which does have prophecy about what's going to happen in the latter days. And so that's the way it's used. It, and while the apostles talk about the return of Jesus Christ pretty often, they don't use this term very often. 
And they didn't use it at all. Jesus Christ used it. It's in the Gospels is where you'll find it. And it just so happens that term latter days is used once in the Old Testament. And it happens to be the last four words of the book of Daniel. You turn over and you look at chapter 12 and verse 13, the very last verse of the book. Allotted portion at the end of the age. It's the only place where that's used in the, New Te in the Old Testament is here in the book of Daniel. Talking about what will happen in the future. So this term latter days just indicates that the end of history, the, the final act. And so he's going to tell him about what's going to happen. Now, Daniel is physically afflicted by all that's going on. I mean, you look in verse 15 through 17. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground. He couldn't even look at him. Turned my face toward the ground uh, and became speechless. I mean, Daniel can't even respond to what this angel is telling him. And one who resembled a human was touching my lips. I opened my mouth and spoke to him and said to him who was standing before me, I, O Lord, as a result of this vision, anguish has come upon me and I've retained no strength. Sounds like COVID, right? You have COVID, you have no strength. You can't even get up. You just want to sleep. That's what's going on with Daniel. He's totally exhausted. And he says, how can I even speak to you? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. He can't even, can't even breathe deeply. He just is totally overcome by this anguish of God not giving him an answer. And then finally, in verse 18, then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. Now, I don't know what that means, but I do know this, that Daniel responds in the next verse, and he said, uh, this is the angel still speaking, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Get over it, Daniel. It's, I'm going to give you the answer, basically, is what he's telling him. And then look at, now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, may my Lord speak, you have strengthened me. So Daniel's fine. The angel gets him up, stands him up, says, stand up, touches him, strengthens him, gives him his breath back. Daniel's now ready to receive the message of God. Now, I don't know what it means when it says that he received strength from the angel. Something supernatural happened to Daniel because he was physically just fine from this point forward. So he has been in anguish, but now he's about to get the message that God sent to him. So he's fine. He's good. And so if the Lord wills, next time we'll begin to look at what the angel says to Daniel. And this goes all the way through chapter 11. So he has a lot to say. Okay, thanks for your time this morning.